Shepard, if you wouldn't mind putting up that first slide, please, that, uh, that one. If you wanted to know what our mission statement was, that would be it. And you'll see it on the boards, loving God, loving people, living to change the world. We want to be a people that love God with everything, that love people like we love ourselves, it says the, script, the scriptures say. The two greatest commandments is to love your God with everything that you are and to love others like you love yourself. Meaning, meaning actually the way that you treat others is the way you would want to be treated. We're going to love people like that. And more than that, we want to impact and change the world. We want to get out there and be, be, be salt for Jesus, as Wally so wonderfully spoke about last weekend. And we are in a process of equipping now over the next three Thursdays, three more Thursdays around how to live a salty life. How do you live to change the world? How do we gather people? How do we, how we have an impact for Jesus? That's what, our, that's what our mission statement would be. The problem is when you look at that, you think that's great, but how? What does that mean for me in my everyday life? And what does that mean for me in Glenridge, in this church, in this family? And so this series has been born. And so if you wouldn't mind moving to the next slide, please, Shepard. So really what this next series is, is drilling down on how do we do this in four simple steps, four hours that make it simple to remember, as Drew has said, so that we can, we can see where we are with God and, and know what our next step is and how, to, how do we measure where we are. Listen, I know Jesus, but I'm not really integrated into a community. We know this, we've got this statement, we grow in circles, not in rows. So if you're just relying on a Sunday to grow, you're not going to grow like you should be going, growing in God. You need to get into some circles around some dining room tables, etc., etc. And so you, you will think, actually, I need to get there. And once you're there, you're thinking, actually, I, I need to move into, I need to be invested into. How do I grow? I need to be invested into. And remember, every single one of these, these eyes is it's happening to you and you helping others step into that. In every single thing, it's you are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. So in every single one of these, have I been introduced to Jesus? Yes, but now I need to be an introducing person. Am I integrated into the life of the church? Yes, but now I need to be an integrating person. Have I been, have I, have my, has my life been invested into by people, by the training, by the Sundays, by whatever, all the vehicles? Yes. Well, wonderful, you need to be investing the same now into others. And the same thing for impact. Am I, am, I, am I going and am I impacting and changing the world? Yes. Now take somebody with you. And, start, and we take the process, we start the process again. And we go back to introducing. We're always in this journey of growing. What these things also make us realize is that actually we're on a journey of maturity, friends. God doesn't want us to stay the same today as we're going to be next year. We've got to be more like Jesus next year than what we are today. We really, really do. And what, that process, what this process really does is it challenges us because actually when you first get introduced to Jesus, when you first come to Jesus, you'd, you might not know anything more than Jesus is King, which is actually what the gospel is. Jesus is Lord and I'm submitting my life and I'm giving all that I am and, and trust putting my faith and my trust in the forgiving that's resurrecting work of Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. But actually, when you come into that place, actually what happens is you're almost a little bit self-involved. It's all about you. 
And so you start to live, it's about me for me. It's about, I live for myself. I come out of this selfish ways. Jesus gets hold of me, and he says, no longer is this just about you, it's about others. And so that's, we, that's the kind of first step. It's about me for me. And then when you move along, you realize, actually, if, to move from me to the next step, I actually got to realize I've got to integrate into a community. And when we first get into that community, that community is there for me. Actually, the community exists so that actually you can grow. And so when we get involved and we serve and we move and we do whatever we do in the community, we participate, what happens is the community helps to grow you. But we're not just to move from me for me to the community from me. There's another step, invest, where actually it's me for the community. So as we're growing up, the community is there for me, but actually we need to move on where actually I'm there for the community because there's other people that used to be where you are that you need to invest into. And then it moves on even further, more than that, it's actually this community exists to impact and change the world. Remember what I said, as I've said it there specifically, this community is there to impact and change the world. Not just us on our own, but as a community we impact and change the world. So this is this journey we're on, and this morning what I get to do is to talk to you about introduce, and what this means for us. What is this introduce? What do, what do we mean by this? This first step of introduce is the first step on our discipleship process. And as Drew's mentioned those words deliberately, this is a discipleship journey. What is the one thing that Jesus told his disciples to do? The one thing. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said this. All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Of all people groups. Of all kinds of people. All nationalities of people. All cultures of people. I want you to go and make disciples. And that word disciple had a very distinctive meaning. It, in those days, the disciple, there was rabbis and disciples. And, and rabbis would choose their disciples. And they would teach their disciples so that they would become teachers themselves. And so that word disciple has a very specific context in the Jewish uh, uh, con, uh, environment or the Hebrew way of thinking. And so, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. This is the one thing that Jesus gives you a direct commandment to go and do, go and make disciples. And unfortunately, it becomes the last thing that many Christians think about, and many churches intentionally go after. Go and, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have shown you, I have taught you, baptizing them. So everything Jesus taught the disciples, we're meant to obey. Not just know, actually obey, actually live in it. So when Jesus healed the sick and demonstrated the coming of the kingdom of God through the laying on of hands of the sick, actually saying, what I want you to do, disciples, now I want you to go and obey that and do that. When you're talking about your life, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for they inherit the kingdom of God and the Beatitudes. He's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to be a people that are poor in spirit so that you can be my sons and display my glory. The kingdom can come through your life. He's saying, teach them to obey everything I taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them, immersing them in in the Godhead, immersing them in in the relationship with the Father, relationship with the Son, and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, teaching them, I got that the wrong way around, baptizing them, teaching them, and then he says, and I will be with you to the end of the age. So this is, this is the task we have as the church. And so what we're doing is we are taking us on a simple process of actually moving that, drilling down and saying, well, how do I do that? This first step I'm gonna do around introduce. So number one, when we talk about introduce, we actually talk about introducing people to Jesus. And Wally so profoundly did that, helped us last weekend and is now running the Salty Life course, because friends, we've got a people, we've got to be confident to introduce people to Jesus. We've got to know that the mandate of God on our lives is to introduce people to Jesus. So when we say introduce, it's actually introduce people to Jesus, first of all. We need to be an introducing people. When people encounter your life, when people come into your home, the way you do business, it's actually the people see that the kindness that you show as as Wally so wonderfully spoke about last weekend. Actually, that is, a, is, is part of us introducing people to this king through your life to, until they get to the place where they know him personally. The second thing, though, when we talk about introduce in this journey is to introduce people to Glenridge. That people, because God puts people in local churches, God puts people in local homes and local communities to grow and to be discipled and to, to be a blessing to the nations. And so actually we need to know what is this, what is this Glenridge, what are, what, are, what are some of the things that we need to know about this, this beautiful bride, part of the bride called Glenridge Church. And so this morning I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take us through eight core values that actually we at Glenridge hold. Eight core values that we at Glenridge hold, dearly to. And the first one is this. God first. So you'll see this on the boards and you'll see it on that intro video. You'll see these words coming through over and over again. These are, these are things that we value highly as a community in terms of our discipleship culture, in terms of this journey into the kingdom and this journey with Jesus that we're on. The first one is this, God first. This means, friends, that we love God with everything of who we are. And not only do we love him with everything we are, but in my personal life, in my work life, in my parenting, in, my, in, our, in our communal life here when we've gathered together, God is first. He is the priority of our lives. I've told the story before, friends of ours um, visited Glenridge thinking of joining, this was years ago, came to Glenridge thinking of joining Glenridge. And they said, no, 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 we can't do that because the way you guys live your lives, it's like Jesus becomes everything to you and changes all of your life. You become, it's like you become these people where it it becomes all of your life. Friends, Jesus is meant to be in and part of all of our lives. There's not meant to be a part of our life that Jesus doesn't have access to. 
There's not meant to be a part of our thinking that is not shaped by the life and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. We want to put God first, which means that he is our priority. What he says is priority. We take seriously what the Bible says. We want God first. You know, priority is putting the things that you value most first. So what do you value first in your life? Is it God? Is it what God's saying? Or do we do Sunday to tick the religious box or to tick the Christian box, but we leave out the discipleship life of Jesus that transforms us into somebody that becomes more like Jesus? The only way that can happen is if God is first, if God comes first. Is God first in your workplace? If your boss is first, then you will do things that you might not do because your boss says so. Whereas you should be saying no. If your boss, if, if Jesus is first, you will be the best employee that that boss has ever had. If Jesus is first in your life, if God is first. So we have this value, God is first. Friends, in our meetings, people are not first when we gather like this. God is first. What is God saying in our meeting? What is God, where is God leading us? It means this, that the, the leading of the Holy Spirit is absolutely key to what we're about. We don't script our meetings. We say, God, we prayed up, we prepared, we've got a plan, and actually then God comes and he does what he wants to do. And if that means we don't preach on a Sunday because he's, he's moving powerfully, then that's what we do. If it means we have five minutes of worship, because actually that's, that's all that's required and we need to go into some, some preaching and then some ministry, that's what we do. It means we God first. We're led by the Holy Spirit. We prize the presence of God. We love being intimate with God because He is first in our lives. Before I, want, before I know, I need to, uh, when I'm preparing to preach before, I, I want to know what commentaries say. I want to know what God's saying through his word and to me on the subject. Friends, do we live our lives like that? God is first. Put God first in everything that you do. That's why we worship, because he's first. That's why we pray, friends, because put him first. If we can do it without prayer, he's not first. If we can do it without a relationship with God, He's not first. If we can do it in our own strength, he's not first. Is he first? God first. The second one is this, courageous faith. We want to be a people of courageous faith. What this means in a, in a nutshell is radical first-time obedience. You know, that, you know that part of your kids, what you're training, you're asking them to listen to you for the first time, not after the third time, if they listen at all. But you know what, friends? I actually think God says to us, geez, come on, guys, how many times do I have to talk? See, courageous faith says when God says it, I will do it. Courageous faith, and it needs courage. It's not just faith. It's courage. It needs courage to step out of the boat onto the water, if God is saying that. 
And so actually this is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an environment that is a bit of a, a, a research and development. Well, what's at risk? It's kind of a, it's a place where we, we, we say, God, what are you saying? And we step out and see if that is God. If it's not God, it's okay because we get up again because the next time it will be God. But we live with courageous faith. We expect God to move, friends. We expect God to be part of, not only is he first, but we expect him to, to, to bring something into our lives and bring a result or a fruit into our lives that we cannot do because of his power and his presence. It's courageous faith. It means risking in God. It means expecting more. It means we never settle down. Friends, we're not a people that settle down because enough is not enough in God. There's always more in him. There's, more, there's always more of me that can be like Jesus. There's always more of me that can step out more and trust him for more. Courageous faith. Are you living in a courageous faith or have we settled into a comfort zone? Comfort zones and courageous faith are opposite ends of the spectrum. Convenience and courageous faith, opposite ends of the spectrum. Are we a people that are living courageously by faith, sacrificial lives because we know it's to the king and what he says counts? Courageous faith. The third thing is this, generosity. We want to be a people that are, are outrageously generous with our words, with our deeds, with our finances. Friends, somebody said this, you are most like God when you are generous. Is your life generous? Are we living generous lives? You know, Ephesians says this, it says, take every opportunity to build others up, to, Ephesians chapter five or four, to build others up and to, 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 to uh, bring them into what God has for them. That's my translation. You know how, when you're going through a tough time, that word of actually, you know what? God sees what you're going through and actually his strength is with you. You know what those simple words can do to you when you, you, you know what it's like when you've gone through a tough time and somebody comes and just lifts you up because they're generous with their words. Friends, don't hold back. Don't hold back from, pray, from, from bringing strength to people with your words. Don't hold back. We, need, we all need it a lot of the time. Your words count. Be generous with them. Your deeds count. Be generous with them. I have a ritual when I go shopping. Now my wife's got it as well now. And now my kids are getting into it. It's getting a bit problematic. But every now and again... When I'm paying at the, at, the, at the till, I'll see the people in front of me or the people in front, of, uh, in front of me or behind me. And I say, you know what, why don't you just bring your, your, your groceries into mine and I'll pay for them and go. They're like, no way. The teller is like, oh. The teller is like smiling. And they, why are you doing this? Because God wants to tell you that he loves you and, and wants to bless you. Friends, it's just generous. That's a simple, it's a simple way. Listen, you don't have to take the full trolley. You can just take the guy that's got a little basket. 
I mean, she, yeah, you know what I mean? But friends, are we doing that? All it's doing is it's just growing us in our generosity with our finances and our giving. We want to be generous, friends. We want to be generous of sending people. We want to be generous to taking people into what God has for them. We want to be generous as a community that we can look after people better as a church. Be generous, friends. Not just out there, but to this community and this tithes and offerings are important, friends. It's part of the discipline that God gives us to free us from finances. To free us from finances. Because what happens is we forget that God is first in our finances. Very easy, under tough times, be generous. We want to be a generous people. Number four is honor. We want to be a people of honor. What does honor mean? Honor simply means this, to set a value and never let it drop. That's what honor in the Bible means. It says honor your parents. It means set the value of your parents up there and keep it up there even if they're not good parents. And he says, if you do that, you'll have long life. That's the promise that comes with honor of your parents. So actually, but we want to be a people of honor. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this, outdo one another in showing honor. It's the one place where you can be competitive in the church, and it's absolutely 100% with God, is an outdoing one another in honor, an outdoing one another in value, actually so valuing people that you don't see their externals, you see the internals of God's call on their lives, you don't see them according to the flesh, but by the Spirit of God, and you honor them for that. And you call that out of them, and you put that into them, and you call them to that. It's honor. We want to be a people that never that set a value and never let it reduce. It means that we have relationships not based on attractiveness, but on love. Because you know what? When you've got relationships that are based on attractiveness, you've got to keep on working at being attractive. And none of us are always attractive all the time. We, we've got weaknesses, we've got flaws, and some of us have got more of them than others. We need people to love us, despite that, like God loved us despite that. Honor means we recognize and rejoice in the differences that we have amongst each other. Different gifts, different people. Stop being judgmental, friends, around people that are not the same as you and don't do what you think they should be doing. Rather, just honor them. Just value them. Friends, and it's not just standing here on a Sunday or, a, or a, in, a, in a public moment and honoring them and saying, you're amazing. Friends, it's like you live like they're amazing. Not just saying it. It's honor. We want to be a people that are like that. You know what, friends? The reason why we battle to have multicultural, multiracial, and multigenerational churches is because we don't know how to honor people. We don't value people. So what happens is you're getting old now, so you're not as valuable as the 25-year-old. We might not say that, but we might, it's behind us. It's, no, 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 friends, we want to build a multi-generational church where young people are honored and valued in their, in, their, in their zeal and in their stupidity at times. We're going to honor them because actually what God's called them to is going to come get formed in this community. And we're going to play a part in that person walking into what God has for them. It's honor. And we're going to honor older people for their sacrifice and their longevity and their perseverance 
and their wisdom that they bring to the conversation and their steadfastness. We're going to honor them because we're going to honor all people. Friends, we are going to honor black people. We are going to honor white people. We are going to honor Indian people. We're going to honor colored people because we're not defined by our skin tone. We're defined by the call of God and the created value that God puts on us. This is a huge value, friends. This is a huge value. It's huge. Are we setting the value because of the, the, is their value set by what they earn? Or the value set for what God has for them? You see, in a culture of honor, actually that's what gets set in place. In a culture of honor, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter, you know that, you know that Joker advert? That where the guy comes to the, to the lady at the, at, the, at the airport and she, she's taking her time and she tells him, no, he's too late or something. And he comes and he says to her, he says, do you know who I am? You know that one? And she just has a sip of Joker. It's kind of, Joker's the key to this whole thing. And she says, she announces over the, over the, over the intercom, she says, please, will somebody help this man? He doesn't know who he is. <laughs> Friends, it doesn't matter how much money you earn. It doesn't matter how famous you are. Actually, everybody gets honored equally in this place. It's a culture of honor. And we don't get it right all the time because we've got flesh in our bones, friends. But man, we want to make sure that we keep that value high in all that we do. It allows people to be themselves. It makes this place a safe place for people if we have honor in the house. The fifth thing is this, family. We want to do life as a family, as a church. Not through programs, through relationships around the dining room table. This church, friends, the church that Jesus is building gets built around a coffee table, a meal table. It gets built around tables, friends. People connecting and interacting and relationally connecting. Like we're a family. That's why we call brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why God's called our Father. Because we're a family. So we want to make sure that we live out, our, do our stuff as a, as, a, as a church, as a family. So that our, our meetings carry a family feel. feel. Um, did you see um, Drew, one of the little girls, was got, uh, running around here, and Drew just about fell over her this morning. You know all the little girls running around with ribbons? You know, you know why we get excited about that, friends? It's because we're a family. Family's a little bit messy. If it's not, you're lying, because yours is messy, just like mine is. It's a bit unexpected sometimes. Things happen. Man, if the kids can't have fun when they come to church, and they have to be separated to go somewhere else, and not be part of the family, because you learn to worship in family. That's why the kids worship with us on a Sunday morning. We don't send them out. Because we want them to see you worshiping so that they become worshipers like you as mom and dad. We want to be a family. We want to do things like a family. And children are part of the family. Families also demand privilege and responsibility. It is Cameron and my job on a, third, on a Wednesday morning 
to take the rubbish out and the pips household. I get the beautiful job with the black bins at the back, or those little white things that started to crawl out in summer. It's a lovely thing that, eh? And I'm like, babe, how come I have to be the rubbish guy? No, because that's who you are. You just do that. No, it's not, not fair. And then Cameron is the guy. Cameron is the one that goes inside and gets the bags and the orange bags and whatever, and then we meet up and we take them out. You know what? We, we want our houses and our homes to be run like that where our kids take responsibility and along with the privileges that they, that they have of being part of our home. But friends, if the church is a family, it's exactly the same. If there's a cup lying on the floor, it doesn't need a cleaner to come and pick that up because that's their job. It needs a family member to take responsibility to pick it up and put it in the rubbish bin. Simple things, simple things. We wanna build a family where everybody gets to play Everybody gets to work and everybody has the privileges of it, but actually everybody carries the responsibility of it. That's why serving is a no-brainer. Imagine if it was only you. And, and imagine if it was Heather, Heather's the mom, so it's her job to do the dishwasher every day of her life, to clean up the kitchen every day of her life, to pack away whatever, to do the, the that's not, how's that family? And we all just sit there, thanks, thanks, Heather. No, no, friends, everybody gets their part in the family. Serving should be a natural part of who we are if we understand family. Number six is this, authenticity. Friends, we want to be real. What you see is what you get. I'm the same person I'm hoping, you can confirm with Heather, I'm the same person here preaching as I am at home. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. That what I'm asking you to do, I'm doing. I want to be authentic. I don't want to have a, I don't want to live with a mask. I don't want to live with hypocrisy in our lives. We want to be authentic. That friends, when we say somebody got healed, if they didn't get healed, we can come back and say, guys, just by the way, they didn't get healed, this was the story. Because you're authentic. We wanna be honest, we wanna be real, we wanna be vulnerable, we wanna be authentic. We wanna be genuine leather, not the, face, the fake stuff that quickly crumbles with use. This, this Bible must be 15 years old. This is genuine leather, that's why it hasn't crumbled. Are we genuine? Do we live genuine lives, friends? Or do we have a Sunday life and then a Monday life? Is the person that you are, again, is the person you are at church on a Sunday the same person that you are at work on a Monday? Are we authentic? It's a challenge. Do we love people because of what they can give us? Or do we love people because we're called to love people? It's authentic, authentic love. Talks about this in Romans as well. Number seven, multiplication. This is another value, we wanna be a multiplying people. You know, church growth, if we understand multiplication, shouldn't be a program. If everybody owns the value, which is a kingdom value of multiplying, 
everybody should be multiplying everything that they do and in what they do. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 says this, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So what you have heard me say, I want you to teach others that will teach others. That's a multiplying life. That's a multiplying life. The cultural mandate in Genesis chapter one is be blessed, be fruitful, be multiplying, and be subduing. We have friends, we have got as Christians a multiplying gene within us that God has put within us. Are we intentionally, are we thinking about how am I multiplying myself? If I'm in a coffee team, if I'm making coffee on a Sunday morning, am I thinking, if I wasn't here, would there be two or three others that could replace me? Multiplying. Not just, just multiplying, not just making disciples, not just making converts, multiplying in every part of our lives. Who is, who is with me that I'm investing into? Who's, how, who's, who, how am I multiplying myself? I wanna challenge us, friends. This is a core value of the scriptures, not just of this church. One of the great things about mission statements and vision statements and values about, of churches is we don't get to make them. The Bible does. And we see Jesus living in a multiplying lifestyle. He gets 12 and he says, now go and multiply. Teach others. Are we teaching others? Even if you've been saved for one day, one day, and you hardly know Jesus, you can begin to spread the word, the love of Jesus, because he, you know what he's done in your life. You can be a multiplying person. And then last of all, going. Going. We wanna be a people that are going. We wanna be a people on the move and going. Friends, to nations, to our neighbors, across borders, across the street, we wanna be a going people. A people that lives beyond ourselves, friends, that thinks beyond ourselves that thinks beyond self and thinks about all those that are out there. We wanna be going, friends. You know the stat, and this is a true stat, I verified it on Google, I mean, it's gotta be true. You know that 151,000 people die a day in the world. They say this, that 30% of the world's population is Christian. If that's true, so just, this is a general statement. Which means, 100,000 people go to hell every day. 36.5 million people go to hell every year. If we believe that Jesus is the way and the only way. Friends, we gotta get going. You know that, that uh, I think the stats are between 40 and 60 million, that's a quite wide value, of people died in the Second World War. Say it's, say it's 60 million. That's two years of natural death. That's only two years. 36.5 times two, 72 million, 73 million. I'm giving you order of magnitude. Friends, we've got a job to do, we've got to go. Friends, this is, this is urgent. This is not about us and our convenience and our theological, friends, people need to know Jesus. And we need to be going. We need to be saying, God, you're first in my life. How can I go for you? Put your faith out in God to go overseas, to get on a trip, 
put your faith in God for finances to do that. In the midst of our bad rant and our bad economy, God will provide for us to keep going, friends. And we'll pay a price to keep going. Let's keep going. Put God first. Live out a courageous faith. Be generous in everything we do. Live with honor. Live where we value everybody and anybody, no matter who they are and what they do. Live like a family where we have privileges and responsibilities and everybody gets to muck in and play. Live with authenticity. Be real in what we do and how we do things. Stop being fake. Stop taking the masks off. Don't be hypocrites. Be authentic people, which means we don't change our voice when we pray. We have a praying voice and we have our normal voice. But God listens more to this voice than to this guy. Just be authentic, friends. Just pray. Please, can I, can I just, um, um, even in the thing of prayer, please, friends, don't, you don't have to pray the perfect prayer. There isn't one. Have to use those words. and those, No, just be yourself. Be authentic. God knows you. Just be authentic. Pray. Don't be scared to pray. Just use your words, simple words. Be authentic. Be multiplying and be going in Jesus' name. Let's get into this journey of the introduce integrate, invest, and impact, and watch what God does with our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.